0: It is time to get paid. Today's guest is Claire Wasserman. She's an educator and author and the founder of Ladies Get Paid, which is one of my most favorite platforms. It it really is incredible and it coincides with her book, Ladies Get Paid. And what it does is it really helps women level up in their careers and achieve financial freedom and who doesn't need that? She is wicked smart. She has all sorts of tasty tips on how to negotiate, how to get those jobs in the first place that we need to really rise in the levels of leadership within corporate America. She's also got some great nuggets for entrepreneurs. So cozy up and listen to today's episode and get your notepad ready. Claire Wasserman, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to chat about how to get these ladies paid. If you guys haven't checked out her website, clairewasserman.com or her YouTube, there is so much incredible content there, so many valuable interviews that you've done on shows like Good Morning America. I mean, you name it, she's been on it. But one that really struck me was an interview that you did and you you really kind of shared how frustrated you were, right? It was frustration and anger that really led you to birthing, ladies get paid. So I feel like there's a lot of frustration and anger, dare I say rage right now with women. And I wanted to kind of get your take on that and see if you feel like we're getting to a bit of a tipping point where that rage is going to turn into some powerful action.
1: Mm, I think we're past the tipping point. I think, or listen, I've been doing this since 2016 and really the rage, frustration, all the ceilings began Closer to 2015, when I had a pretty sexist experience that just startled me enough to go down the rabbit hole of the internet when I began Googling women and the workplace. I mean, I, I didn't really consider myself a feminist before. I, I had no idea what it actually meant. And my mom never even really talked about the fact that she was the second or third class of women in her college. It was just assumed we were equal. Workplaces are meritocracy. And that's a beautiful way to go about life, but it's also a privileged one and not realistic for for many folks, particularly marginalized ones. So I'm grateful for the sexist experience. I'm grateful for all of the feelings because it was enough to get me moving. And that's the thing. I mean, ultimately, we have a choice, right? When you have all of these big feelings, I think you can either be paralyzed by them or you can use them as fuel. And... I did both. So I was paralyzed for for about a year because it was overwhelming, right? Like you read these statistics around the wage gap and leadership gap and the investment gap and you think as an individual what could I possibly do to combat something so systemic? And Long story short, at least it was, well, let me ask for more money for myself, right? Like, let's close my own wage gap. So you, you take the big and you break it down in how can I change not just my life, because I mean, that's massive. How about, how could I change today or this moment? And, and to not, again, to say, don't have these big feelings, but just how can I use this? How can I make it work for me? And uh, that's Ladies Get Paid, and we're now 75000 women strong in our community who
0: join that because usually they have a big feeling about something and then they translate it into action. And there's so much great content on the website too for Ladies Get Paid. There are like all sorts of free courses and like cheat sheets and all of this great stuff. So I feel like it's really inclusive of all current income levels. Like you can, there's, there's nothing too small that you can do to start earning some financial freedom or feeling empowered. If you're willing to, could you share what happened, what that sexist experience was that really kind of triggered you to make a move?
1: Yeah. So at the time I was the director of marketing for a professional network called Working Not Working. And I'd had a similar job before. So I had been this kind of the background of Lazy Get Paid. I had been effectively in the recruitment space for a number of years. So I was already like predisposed to be fascinated by community building and getting people hired. But I walk into this event and, and by the way, this was during a festival, like an advertising festival. Many of our clients were advertising companies, the HR departments. We were there to find business, right? And this guy comes up to me and he says, he's older. He says, hi, now, now tell me, you whose wife are you? It's like, well, certainly not yours. And here's the thing though. And it was all week experiences like this where I was just not being taken seriously, mostly being objectified. Right. There was a lot of drinking. And I internalized it. I thought, well, it must be me. I must be too friendly. I'm getting hit on, right? Or are my skirts too short? Or, and I realized, and this was what was so profound from this experience, was how I had had so many experiences like that in my career that I never stopped to consider the damage it was doing. I just wanted to ignore it, keep moving, right? But man, I was spending a lot of energy, like I said, internalizing it. And that, so yes, it was the sexism, but it was my processing of the sexism that actually woke me up. Stop spending energy internalizing or beating myself up or even being angry at the system. Time to make it work for me.
0: Yeah, I think that we all have war stories that we could definitely compare and we would probably be really grossed out and really disappointed at some of the things that we've experienced and then also probably didn't report to HR, didn't have the guts to call out at the time because there was legit retribution. (laughs) Like if you did that, you would be cut off business trips and you would be kind of left out in the cold, I think, for a lot of opportunities. So I wanted to get your opinion on this whole trend of after Me Too, it having a backlash into Not Her and there being lower rates of women being invited on work trips for fear of potential future liability, like all these types of things. Did you and your community hear about that? Do you think that it's truly something that happened? Or do you think Me Too was something that overall was more beneficial than having this kind of backlash that we're hearing about?
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. There's, I mean, always backlash, right? Like when you look at history, it's it's not linear. Like you take one step forward and five steps back. And I've seen that with ladies get paid. I mean, we got sued. By a group of men's rights activists no way. for gender discrimination. <laughs> yes, if you would like to learn more. Yes, this happened, I wanna say 2018. If you wanna learn more about it, we actually created an entire campaign to help raise legal funds so we could survive this thing. So if you if you go to ladiesgetsued.com, oh, yeah. you can see how we made not just lemons out of lemonade, but we made money out of lemonade. Good. Um But, you know, when that happened, I was naive enough at the time to actually be surprised by it. Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm, I guess I'm jaded. So I've, we've seen it all. I'm not surprised at the backlash. And I also am not surprised. It kind of makes sense, right? Like if men are really afraid. Right. Then, yeah, they're not going to invite the women. So I- I'm not saying I empathize, but I but I get it. Whether or not it, we just we need a longer lens here before we can, I think, say whether or not something's been net positive. I'm really, I mean, here's the thing. At the time... That I had that very sexist experience. I wrote an essay about it, but I did not publish it for fear that I would be labeled a man-hater, that I would just be like completely misunderstood. They would think I'm accusing these men for the sake of accusation and not talking about it in a larger context. And I felt really alone. And what helped me at that time, though, get through it was actually sharing the essay with some friends who then shared it with their friends who wrote me. And I started getting all of these beautiful emails of people effectively saying, me too. And this is 2015. This was before anything ladies get paid. It was just, hey, I've had this experience that I think is indicative of something much larger here, a.k.a. gender power dynamics. What do I do with it? And it's, it's, a quaint, it's another time. It's, it was very quaint. <laughs> I. that was so scared. And now I, I wouldn't
0: be. Yeah. I I definitely felt, I, I, well, I witnessed, I didn't really fall prey, but I saw a lot of other women falling prey to the lure of you go to the spa while we're all going to do a golf outing and we're going to be in a golf cart with the CEO and all of these things. And so I actually begrudgingly learned how to taught myself how to play golf because I was like, you're not going to keep me <laughs> out of these conversations. But then you see the attitudes and the dialect change just by the presence of a woman on a, on a golf course. I mean, oh, I got yeah. into it with my husband this weekend. He is an avid golfer, and he is a white male who's been incre- incredibly privileged, and I'm a white female who's been incred- incredibly privileged. But at the same time, I was kind of like getting on a soapbox about country clubs and all of these things and how they're just inherently sexist and racist. And, and therefore, it doesn't surprise me. I, I think that there's a link between all of these high level meetings that are going on and they're linked to these golf outings because they know most of these institutions didn't even allow women, much less people of color on them within the last 50 years. And he's just like looking at me like, oh, my God, like, what is she talking about? But I really feel like all of this stuff is there. And maybe they just want us to quit being a pain in the ass and be quiet about it and just play <laughs> the game. But I'm really sick of it. And I feel like I want to call out every company that only does golf outings. It feels, it feels like they're in so many ways trying to keep women out. And I'm sure there are a handful of women, more than a handful, who love golf But I think that there are just really traditional institutions to have biases and discrimination against women in them. Do you agree or do you think I'm like going a little off the deep end?
1: No, I say you're totally, I'm obviously on the same page as you. But what's funny is my co-founder Ladies of Ladies Get Paid and also my wife, Ashley, her dad made her go to golf camp because when she was growing up, because she, and he explicitly sent to her. Because it's going to help you in business. Yeah. And Jane becoming the captain of the golf team, but hated it. Yes. Hated the whole yes. thing. So I always thought that was sort of funny. But here's the thing, and I'm just going to call it out and be very transparent. The men are not wrong to be annoyed, afraid, whatever. Insert the adjective. Because if we're saying we want more women in power, that inherently means there will be less men in power. Okay. Now, this actually helps business. I want to be clear like, diverse, there's research that says diversity and leadership improves the bottom line. So, this is not doing a favor or in the name of fairness. There's no kumbaya here. Like, I just want to make more money. However, if there's less men, if there's more women, right. then there's less men. So I get like, again, it all makes sense.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I think, I mean, maybe we should take it as a compliment that everybody's so fucking threatened, but everybody's got their feathers all ruffled now. And I, I do, I feel it. Maybe it's just because it's closer to the surface now because women are talking about this more and it's becoming more public knowledge that there are bro cultures and there is inherent racism and sexism. and all sorts of biases and that they actually compound, right? So if you're a woman, there's one. Right. There's like a certain percentage, like 30%. And then there's a motherhood penalty. And then if it's LGBTQ, which I'm sure you've experienced, you know, there's another penalty. And then if you don't have the same religious beliefs or you're of a different ethnicity, it just builds up. And at some point, it just feels like there is this mountain to overcome to get to some of these things that other people don't experience. And I and I think the thing that's frustrating is the the lack of caring or giving a shit to really try to understand some of the other people's experiences that haven't been as easy. And I think that's what really like is the trigger, I don't know about for me, I'm sure it is for you too, But it's the kind of like, everything's fine. What are you talking about? We're not like that. And it's like, no, the fact that you aren't even willing to like really kind of peek behind the curtain and examine if you're like that is the problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, human nature, we do things in service of ourselves. It's just survival. It's not even being selfish. It's like I'm just trying to do the best I can. So I think if we can show others how it is in their interest to be supportive, then we'll all. The, what is it? Rising, rising tide lifts all boats, and it's true. It re, again, there's research that shows that companies make more money. Except, or like I always say, if you are trying to figure out how much to charge, talk to other people about their salaries. There's a way to do it. You don't just straight up ask somebody how much they make. But remember, when you ask somebody how much they make, or you start the conversation around money, yes, it's helping you, but it's also helping them because they're going to have to figure this stuff
0: out too. Oh my God, you're a mind reader because I was just, my next question was, do you feel like a big piece of closing this wage gap is transparency, like salary transparency? I actually have just like a running Excel sheet of all of my clients and I don't have their names there, but it's, it's something that I share with other clients on in this city, in this role, this is the total comp. This These are what some of the responsibilities are, but I really need that sheet with men's salaries as well. Oh yeah. And I think, I think that's huge. And I'm seeing that there's more
1: states now that are required. I know Colorado, I think they were first. I'm pretty sure California just passed a law where you have to post the salary. That's, I mean, yeah. Like, why why are the ones who are the best negotiators getting the most money? That's, this is not how it should. I shouldn't have to be in business. We joke that we're like the only business who's trying to put ourselves out of business.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I don't want to
1: have to teach salary negotiation.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I was going to ask you to. I mean, you're an expert at it. And so I was wondering if you could kind of speak on this idea of money shame and how that might tie in or be linked with the, the resistance against re- renegotiating or negotiating your salary.
1: Yeah. Oh, there's so many layers to it. I mean, that's why I am fascinated by salary negotiation because it's a microcosm of a lot of other things, which is namely, do you believe that you are worthy of this salary negotiation? I've had women who say, well, what happens if I get the money? Will I live up to it? A lot of imposter syndrome there to deal with. I, my, my other joke is it's like, join ladies, get paid, but also get a therapist. Please. So there's first the like, okay, self advocacy piece. Then there's the, am I doing the kind of work and do I know? Intimately and quantifiably the kind of work that I'm doing and how it impacts the business bottom line. And so being able to really dig into sort of the financial ecosystem of the company and the ways in which you are contributing, which honestly might, it could be time saved or you've contributed to the company culture. You have to draw the connection, though, between that and the business bottom line. And for a lot of people's roles and particularly women's roles, that's not easy or obvious. Like a salesperson. That's obvious. Most salespeople are men, okay? So that now requires us to do a lot of like creative digging into that into our work and how we demonstrate throughout the year, by the way, which means getting over this like fear of bragging. I would say shift your focus to seeing your work as a service, right? You are telling them how you've helped them. We love that. Also, the success of your manager, it's based on you. It's based on the team. So you need to inform them. So, you know, again, it's not just the salary negotiation and advocating at the time. It's also in the year, the months leading up to it. And also having the guts that really ask about compensation and how it's determined. When budgets are decided, maybe you need to be having these conversations closer to that time. because so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to it. but I would say the first part is is like do you believe that you're deeply worthy of it and can you translate your worthiness into dollars?
0: Yeah, no, it's so huge. and I think that That question of worthiness is maybe one that we don't always want to look at. It's easier just to blame your boss or your organization and say, you know what, they just keep screwing me, or they're going to like not give me my bonus this year, even though I worked really hard for it. And I believe in spiritual alignment. And I really think that in order to be aligned and to allow that money to flow to you, I think you really deeply have to believe it yourself. And also, to your point, it's going to be really hard to sell them on giving you that money that, you know, even if you think you earned it, if you're not really drinking your own cool. And if you can't come with the receipts, and I think what you said too about the timing of it is so huge because how many times do we go in to negotiate? And to your point, budgets have already been established or bonus breakdowns, percentages have already been solidified. So Everybody on the team has already been—it's already been decided and cleared with HR and E.L.T. What everybody's going to get, and they—they they make the case that they can't go back. And it's kind of like, let's have this discussion again next year. Do you advise people then to make? Obviously, you should be checking in with your with your boss frequently and kind of tooting your own horn as much as possible. I love to keep emails anything like that that says you did a great job or infers how much revenue. Any one of your projects helped contribute to the organization. But do you think that it's better to have like quarterly or biannually kind of like reviews or salary discussions? Oh, a thousand percent or more. I mean,
1: first of all, make sure you're consistently meeting and, and get an understanding from your boss about the way that they like to communicate. Because, first of all, I always want to put things in writing because it makes it real. But maybe like instead of a really long meeting periodically, how about every a couple days or once a week, how about just like five minute, 10 minute, and all you're doing is just checking on priorities or just talking about how are we defining and measuring success? Because it's those things that are going to impact your raise because you got to point to them. So I would say like figure out a cadence with, with which to have more consistent, impactful meetings, um, that's not wasting anybody's time. And it's just very, very clear uh, on for everybody what you're working towards, which is growth. And growth is measured in, yes, dollars, but also in responsibilities. The kind of work you're doing, the influence that you're able to have, meetings that you could have, and people you can have access to. Because again, that's going to get rewarded. Because my concern is that a lot of us are going in and we're working really hard and we're like, look at my work. Isn't it great? And it's like, it's not even the work that tends to get recognized and rewarded. Men are, there's research that says that men are just naturally given those opportunities. There's actually a word for it and it's called glamour. Glamour work. Oh. Uh, yes. <laughs> and these are projects where they get to be invited to meet with stakeholders, whether they're internal or external. Yeah. Or stretch opportunity, things that just make them look good. And we're doing the behind-the-scenes work that makes things keep moving. And we think, well, shouldn't I get rewarded for that? But there's a misalignment between how management is looking at recognition and reward and how we might be. And the only way you're going to figure that out is if you are meeting consistently. It's not one or two or three times a year that you're going to know this stuff. You really have to keep checking in. But again, make sure you're doing it in in a way that doesn't waste anybody's time.
0: Yeah, I... I totally agree with that. And I preach to clients, you need to have, if you can swing a weekly one-on-one, which most will, and and these are pretty high levels, but it's like, yeah, I think that you can get time. And they're like, well, we don't have anything established. It's just, we talk a million times. And I'm like, no, I think you need to have an established weekly one-on-one. You need to set an agenda. You need to share that agenda. And I think a point on that agenda should always be, what are the priorities and how am I doing against these KPIs? And because then you get, you get the receipts then too, Claire, right? It's like, oh yeah. And then after that meeting, you can send a recap and say, these were the three things that you said I was overachieving on. And here's a area of opportunity, right?
1: And also ask about how you might know your KPIs, but what about for the business? How yeah. is the business doing? And a great way to, to figure this stuff out is to ask or to do research on where the company is investing. If there's certain departments or people that they're, in, they're getting more budget, Start aligning your work and your and your networking, actually, in that area. Because the fact of the matter is you may reach a ceiling and it has nothing to do with your gender or your race. It really is that what your function, your role, your department, whatever it is, is just simply not where the business is focusing or where the industry is going. So that might mean shifting into a new department or something. You may need to change what you do to make more money.
0: It's such good advice. And I think that's the other big piece too, is is like, don't be afraid to pivot. Don't be afraid to make a change. Because I think even like with my book, Career Confinement, you can really feel confined. You just said it. There might be a a tippy top to your band that you're just never going to be able to surpass. Maybe 250 is like the most you're ever going to make in this role or in this industry or whatever. And so I think it's always good for us to constantly be following what we're curious about. Or as Rachel Power says, like, follow the jealousy and everyone should be a millionaire. Like, look at what it is that really kind of speaks to your soul. I mean, and for you, it was being an advocate for women's, women's financial representation and freedom. And so you made a huge pivot and started that. Like, I, I don't think that we necessarily need to just stay and just walk the course. I think the biggest piece is knowing that You have the right and the responsibility to yourself to really take a hard look at what you're doing. And maybe it's time to make a move. Absolutely. And by the way, thank you for sending me your book. I'm so excited to read it. Yay. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think about it. But I think too, a lot of people in like the law and the legal and medical professions. I was just talking with my OB the other day as I was getting my annual. Ladies, get your annuals. And I gave her a copy of the book and she was excited about it. And she goes, Yeah, I went through all of this school to be an OB and now I'm here. And I'm kind of like, okay, so this is what I do every day. <laughs> like, this mm-hmm. is it. And I was like, you're not trapped. Like there's always, there's gotta be, you have to feel like you can pull into the far left lane of the financial highway and hit the gas. But mm-hmm. if you're always in those other lanes and some slow ass cars in front of you, you're just going to get frustrated and you're going to get burnt out. And I think a little bit of our soul dies when we don't feel valued. And to your point, financial currency and earning potential plays a big role in that, right?
1: Oh, a thousand percent, because that's how we, it's a concrete way to to measure your value. I mean, we live in a capitalistic society. I mean, A, we need money to survive, let alone thrive, but also we oftentimes are, we see or are taught to see our kind of like net worth equal our self-worth. So it's an interesting exercise because I, I have women first like deeply believe in their worth and then figure out how to articulate it in terms of dollars, but I also need everyone to Forget about the dollars and just focus on the worth, too, because our society has decided that we don't value teachers and nurses enough to pay them more. So, But I don't want anybody who's in those positions to think that they're not. Like, don't look at their paycheck as an indicator of their worth. At the same time, you have to play that game. You have to make that case when you're negotiating. So it's really, again, this is why I love what I do because it encompasses it's, it's it's math, it's how we feel about the math. It's right. but also but at the end of the day, really you have to feel okay. You have to be healthy. You have to be sane. And that's and money is required for that, but money is not everything. I think
0: money can flow to you as well. I mean, I I really think it's like if if you're in a state of resistance all day long and maybe it's because you don't really enjoy your job anymore, you've lost passion or you're just burnt out, all of these kinds of things, I think it just really narrows the opportunities for money through creative means to find you. So I always say like find the joy, like find some of that, start feeling good. And a lot of these other things will seem Achievable. Like you can have the conversation with your boss. You can improve your LinkedIn. Girl, I can't tell you how many people don't want to mess with their LinkedIn. And I'm like, do your LinkedIn. I don't know. They're like, I think my boss then will know that I'm like looking to get a new job or something. I'm like, no, you are a representation of that company. If anybody asks yeah. you why your LinkedIn looks amazing, it's cuz you don't want the company to look bad. Like, it's these there's like little things and and but there is a lot of resistance and at the at the root you nailed it. It's it's a self-worth thing. So, I know that I feel so much better having amazing women like you out there creating incredible platforms and sharing so much incredible insight and knowledge that I am really hopeful that at some point we will get this wage gap closed and it won't take as long as predicted. I don't even know the specific number, but it's something like cripplingly scary how long it will take to close it. But I think things are changing. I I think, I mean, Gen Z is like, because when I talk about,
1: they're no bullshit. Just, no, they're no bullshit. <laughs> and also, when I talk about how I started, I started ladies get paid by bringing women together to talk about money because it's a taboo subject, and it was like that almost feels quaint now. Or so I, I just, or, or the thought of like asking or being really strong about wanting to know not just diversity efforts at a potential new job, but like how are they measuring results and holding themselves accountable. None of us would have even thought to ask, or I don't want to say none of, but a lot of us would not not have thought, even thought to ask that in an interview, let alone have the courage to ask it. Now, it's a given. And again, I don't want to generalize, but I I find in, and this has just been, what, since 2016? That's a lot of change. And that is why there's a backlash, (laughs) because things have changed. So maybe we sort of wear the, the backlash as a badge of honor. But, I mean, Gen Z, they... I mean, they're freelancing right out the gate because they it's realize so they want to be Everybody's in charge kind of, of their, hustle. take command of their, their lives and their careers. And the way that you can do that is by having your own saying and putting your life first and your career fits into your life as opposed to the other way around. So as a mid to geriatric millennial over here, I'm getting outdated.
0: That's I'm a, a geriatric thing. millennial it's okay it's it's a good group <laughs> I feel like
1: I'm 20, we're the ones...
0: in a month so this is beyond. oh my god yeah. I'm 41 I am at the razor I was born in 81 like the razor's edge of millennial I'm um, 86 yeah but <laughs> but I feel like we have we've both been in the shit like to see where it was and then also like where it's headed so I know I'm very grateful to you I'm sure all of our listeners are as well Ladies, stay hopeful, stay active, and get, get yourself paid. And if yes. you need more insights, hook up with Claire Wasserman. Thank you so much for being on the show. There's been a ton of insight, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me.